sessions with Agris. We're joined by Agris founders themselves, Ty Mohammed and Paul Weston. Welcome. For those of you who haven't heard of us, we are a full resourcing and recruitment company that works exclusively for family offices. This is our first podcast and we may be a bit rough around the edges, but please bear with us. Uh, we've been meaning to do this for quite some time. Uh, you'll be able to see all of our white papers online, but for now, this is our first in-person chat. And uh, well, I guess that brings me nicely to my first question, which is the pandemic, the reason we haven't done this sooner. Mm-hmm. How has it changed the family office landscape? Oh, nice and easy question to begin with, Jackie. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, in a nutshell, the, the, the changes have been seismic, uh, of seismic proportions. And uh, if I can categorize them into three buckets, I'd say the change within family offices themselves, the change within the attitudes of the candidates um, and the candidate space in general. And lastly, I'd uh, say the professionalization of family offices. Um, if I just talk a little bit more about um, each of these buckets um, to explain what I mean, uh, family offices uh, post pandemic have um, a much more increased appetite uh, for riskier asset classes. Uh, it's almost like their risk profile has slightly changed since the pandemic because they've probably seen the kind of double digit returns that was there to be made, the availability of the dry powder in general, and um, uh, just the initiatives that they took and that's uh, done really well for them. Um, so what's happening is family offices are aggressively in, uh, investing in that space. Uh, so what I would say is it's not just necessarily within the private markets, but I'd say that the risk profile has changed slightly since the pandemic. Because uh, I think there's, if there's an opportunity that's slightly more riskier, they are um, still considered a lot more now. Um, the second aspect is obviously within the candidate community, and uh, they, uh, which obviously, you know, post-pandemic, it's become the norm to have a flexible work-life uh, balance. Uh, you know, it's, it's almost uh, taken for granted that you can work remotely or work a few days from home. I mean, a few years ago, uh, even prior to 2020, this would be classed as a luxury. But today, you know, I mean, of all the years of doing this, for the first time I know of candidates who turn away a job because there's no flexibility in the world. But at the same time, family offices are a little bit hesitant to this or resistant to the, the actual change. And that's where we feel that there is a little bit more of an education needed and a little bit uh, more of adaptation needed for family offices, especially when they're trying to compete with these sell-side firms for the candidate, because that's where a majority of that candidate pool comes from. And lastly, I think the biggest change post-pandemic would be just in the general professionalization um, of family offices. I think family offices, and in the past we'd say that you know the, the, the beneficial owners of family offices would have made their money from very professionalized, uh, public listed companies, but when it comes to their own family offices, it was very haphazard mm-hmm. and run, not necessarily in the most professionalized way, you know, almost in a way like a, a man and his dog uh, running this family office. But today I think it's a different case, you know, family offices are having really good governance structures, uh, really good um, protocols in place, like hiring the right sort of teams, compensating them well. And, and I think it's very important because uh, uh, it's uh, it's essential to thrive in today's climate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. you know, I agree, I'd add to that, because obviously we've seen a lot of, you know, probably pre-pandemic, there wasn't as many board and investment committee roles, would you probably agree on that? Yeah. Of late, 
there's, there's been huge, and obviously it's around governance, making sure they're structured. We've, we've been placing a lot of board seats, you know, whether it's just to advise on investments or to educate the next generation. So I definitely feel that that professionalisation is happening. And even maybe if we're talking about like compliance, you know, obviously there's a lot of talk about regulation coming in, um, but we, you know, hiring a lot more legal and compliance roles, you know, to make sure that they are meeting all the professional standards, whether it's in the UK, in the US, or wherever, wherever these guys are based on. So, yeah. The only other thing I'd add is, like, I think family officers are also becoming cognizant of the fact uh, that they need to really pay attention to retention more than ever. Because it's hard enough, right, even in the best of times, to hire people, especially when you're working for a family office, you know, with all the challenges that they have, and the cultural fit that they're trying to establish and everything else. But can you imagine the cost that goes with all this and then they lose these people because they've not paid them well or for whatever reason. I think uh, that's made them cognizant that look, this is something they can't afford. So they're really trying to retain their staff more than ever. And also probably just to add as well that when we started this business 12 years ago, you know, it, it was, you know, without <laughs> generalizing, it was probably a place where you know, an ex-banker or lawyer would go for the final part of their career. You know, that, you know, that's pretty fair. A relationship would have been built with the banker and they'll come over. But now it's actually a genuine place for high quality, you know, job seekers. So analysts, you know, from Goldman Sachs are now seeing family offices as a genuine place to work, you know. Um, that's, that probably wasn't the case. Was yeah, that's brought back some of the memories. Because I remember I would go to these events and some of these guys went, you know, would speak to them, oh, what is it that you guys do? And this is, I'm going back more than a decade. And, you know, it was still, an emerging space, and, and we tell them you know, we uh, specialize within the single family office space, and a lot of people would laugh and they'd say, "Isn't that like for like a retirement sort of a job, like a dead end job?" You know, that's there was that perception there, you know. But today, I'd say that nah, that's definitely changed. It's you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. Definitely, yeah. And there are they are structured in a way now that you can come and you know the career path might not be as obvious. There yeah. might not be ladders to climb, but you you know you start building responsibility, you start getting access to greater deals. So, you know, lots of candidates want that. But like Ty mentioned, you know, the resistance for working from home, you know, why why a family office is set up if you ask us probably the biggest you know is to have control. And not not in a you know in, a, in an evil way, but in a controlling, you know, making sure that they're controlling their, their assets in their life. And I think what the, the, the problem principles often find is that they can't, you know, they can't they often feel they can't get control if not everyone's together in the office. They're a little bit Nervous that if you're working from home, are they really doing it? But we've tried to educate our clients. It is working. You know, you know, it'd be the same for us. We were pretty like we can't work from home as a business. Now we can do this a couple of days a week. It really works. You know, you know, you've got kids. It's nice to be around your kids. Um, you know, you know, until they're asking you to help with your homework uh, <laughs> in the middle of the afternoon. But apart from that, it's uh, you know, I think families are starting to learn um, that that is that's needed. Yeah. And as you said, it all comes down to teamwork, keeping your people, making sure your wealth is managed in the right way. And speaking of risk, and something you touched on earlier, type about increased appetite for investment and increasing their appetite for risk at the same time. Mm. How has this impacted the landscape and generally how families are managing their money? Yes, I mean, it's a good good question. And, and it's something we've, I mean, we, we as you know, we, we do a lot of surveys and we're just in the process of, of creating a huge global uh, compensation survey, which will we will analyse investments, uh, you know, all, all the elements that, that, that affect the family office. But obviously, we've seen firsthand the changes of how investments happen. And, and we, we, when we say that, I mean, we're seeing the types of people that are looking to hire. And, and type may mention upon it, risk appetites changed. Families are now really proactively trying to invest in private equity. 
and that could be from a direct investment uh, and also increasing their exposure to private equity funds. If they're both, both these cause problems because often you know, the, the in-house expertise isn't already there. Uh, the, obviously the, the fund selection is transferable whether it's equities or private equity. However, you know, on the direct investment, that's where a lot of families globally uh, haven't got the resources. So we've, we've had a lot of mandates from you know, New York to Dubai to London where we're, we're looking to find private equity analysts, which it, it can be quite challenging because you, know, you have to often, they're looking to recruit from the private equity firms. And you know the private equity firms are equally busy, um, and you know, and I'm hiring, and it becomes quite competitive. Uh, I think one of the biggest issues we've found is the way family offices compensate as opposed to private equity firms. Uh, and the biggest element that we spoke on events, and it's a it's a problem that all families are facing, and it, it, it is, do we offer carry? You know, family offices have often have a slightly different investment horizon, time horizon to private equity firms. Private equity firms are looking to maybe off, you know, sell, a, sell an asset, sell a proper company um, you know, earlier to, you know, to get that investment back into the fund and, and distribute to, to obviously all the investors, whereas families often hold for a little bit longer, so how do you compensate? Yeah. So it is a challenging, and, and I think there is no right answer. We're trying to educate our clients, we're learning as it goes along, but that you know, in itself, like Ty said, you know, investing in more riskier um, investments is, is the trend. I mean, you'd agree with that, hundred percent. I mean, it's basically in the education process for all of us, isn't it? Like you know, because there, you know, you do want. I think more than ever, family offices just realise that. Look, if you are trying to attract from the pool that your uh, your competitors are attracting from, you've got to at least compensate them on a similar level or better in some cases. And but uh, but you're a completely different beast to what the, the, your competitors are. So uh, you know, family offices are being as creative as possible. But again, I'd say you know, from all our years of experience and the surveys that we've done and the the primary data that we have, it's definitely changing a lot more now than it used to. I mean, it's always been around the discretionary model. Generally, there would be some sort of a broad-based formula. But you know, there'd be a lot of talk of carry within family offices, uh, but. In practice, it was not as much as you've seen more recently now, especially on the other side of the pond in the US. I think family offices are taking a little bit more aggressive position to these things because they understand, look, if I'm going to attract some of the best managers, I need to offer carry, especially if we are acting like the GP uh, in this instance. So that's, that's a major challenge, you know. Um, yeah. And I think, as you said, it's coming back to being more professional, more fashionable, mm. not being retirement kind of end of career, job. pre-end career jobs and, yeah. and really becoming professional focus work for the next generation and I think the Financial Times reported something along the lines of five trillion dollars is set to be transferred over the next three decades. Mm. That's a lot of wealth. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> how, how is the future looking? Is it, is, is it as bright as you're obviously painting a picture today? You know, you're saying it's fashionable, it's standardised, you're recruiting the very best of the best talent in these family offices. Is the future as bright as it seems? I mean, it, it does seem promising, right? Because, you know, those figures are, I think I've seen those figures from a few different researches. I think that the, um, uh, the UBS report had something very similar to that as well. Um, it, it is interesting, but is the answer, I mean, am I going to sit here and say, look, family offices are prepared for this? That'll be lying. Do, do you know what I mean? Because I don't think that's the case for everyone. But at the same time, there are family offices who are very well prepared for 
succession and the next gen and they're trying to integrate things in the right way but a vast majority of them are not even thinking about this because it's human nature right let's just think about this for a second like you know if i'm an act if, if i'm the wealth creator and i'm an active person still involved in my business the last thing i really want to think about is who's going to take my the reins from me when i'm still active you know it's just human nature you don't want to think about that you know though you might have an idea of what things might be and things like that and what we're saying is you've got to start thinking about it you got to really start planning about who's going to take over the reins. But there are two aspects to this, not just from a family perspective, but also from the family office, the professionals who are doing that, because there's a succession planning element there too. Because I know of CIOs and CEOs, like Paul does, that have been working for some of these principles for decades. And they've been there for three decades, four decades, doing a phenomenal job for these guys. I mean, they're not going to last forever, or you, know, you hope they do, but they, they, and, you know, they have to have plan B in place. They have to think about, okay, what happens when this person steps away? What happens when I step away? Is my son taking over? Okay, if that's identified, then I need to ensure that this is all integrated. I need to ensure that the next gen has the buy-in with the management and vice versa and getting, because you know, an interesting question that I was asked at a recent event, I think, um, was, why is it that advisors appointed by the first gen or the second gen get fired when the next gen comes on board? And it's such an interesting fact, right? Because there's the, the man who's done such a good job for your, your parents or whatever, created so much wealth for you, but suddenly you've come on board and now you're trying to make your mark and one of the first things you do is you get rid of this person. I think it's just, it's because there's a missing piece in the equation and that missing piece is the integration aspect. So families did not take the effort to integrate that, ensure that the, the next gen is involved in that sense and has the buy-in and ensuring that integration takes place. So what they do naturally, they bring their own people. They think that, you know what, I've got a better relationship with this person and he's gonna run it for me. And I think there's no need for that if it's managed correctly. And, and also planning ahead will avoid like a firefighting situation more than ever because you wanna be in a planned, calm position when these things happen. You don't want to be in a situation where, you know, there's been a sudden death or a sudden forced restructuring event or something like that, which is requiring you to make these drastic changes, you know? So I think there is an element of that lacking and families need to pay attention to that. And you mentioned integration. What are your, obviously, you're not within the family office, but you support family offices. How would you offer advice to the next generation coming up? Or even, as you said, the existing principal, how do you integrate the next generation? How do you integrate your new hires into the family office, yeah. what, what best practices It's a good question, and it's, it's different for different families, I'd say, because it all comes down to, you know, with the, with the next gen, how, how much involvement, how much interest are they going to have in, in, you know, in the family office, and we've experienced it lately, where, you know, the, the, the daughter is a successful doctor. Um, do they really, you know, are they really want to get involved in the investment management, the, you know, all, all the elements of their wealth? They may do, they may not, but obviously you've got to start having that conversation. And, and if they're not, and I think, we've, you know, you've, you've created some great reports on this, you, you need to think about, well, then if that's the case, we need to bring in some external leadership uh, because, you know, the, 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 the siblings, you know, may not want to, or the spouses may not want to be involved in, in the family because they're happy to, as an entity, just looks after their interests, they'll sit on a board position, they'll oversee, they're obviously decision makers, but they won't be there on a the day-to-day. And there may, there's some families that have children that actually are really proactively quite interested in this. You know, we've had clients whose children have gone and studied investments and they've gone and learned the trade within the banks and the investment managers. And then when the time comes, they feel comfortable that they may not be 
the head of the family office, but they'll they'll take a position where they're advising they'll, and they'll eventually look to, to take. So it, it really does it does differ. Um, I think the most one of the big the most important things is as I mentioned is is the next gen of the, the the staff the employees because that is something that a lot of families don't think about. You know the people that have been there for thirty years. Mm. You know, and we've been involved in mandates and it's, it's you know successful family offices are hiring you know deputy CEOs. So the five-year process is quite transparent that this person will be moving on, as opposed to a sudden situation where they've, they've decided to retire, they've become unwell, you know, life happens, and they need to find someone. And then, and it, you know, what a family office essentially is made up of a group of people. That's the key to it. You know, obviously you have structures set up, but the people drive all these yeah. decisions. So I think having that, so we just encourage have discussions. You know, you know, in the review process on a yearly basis, start thinking about long term. No one knows where they're going to be in five years, but you need to start think, thinking ahead. Um, you know, and then, you know, we've seen horrible situations where you know a sudden tragic death in the family, you know, and the son or daughter comes in, and then they've just closed the family office down and decide to hire their own, you know, team of you know, maybe not particularly professional, not professional people, and it, and it can be really destructive. You know, the wealth preservation of the family. And you know. And again, just to add a little bit more to what Paul said, I think it's so important that whole integration aspect, especially when there's a change over of, I mean, a transfer of wealth, or uh, you know, even in terms of trying to replace your key key people within the team because they're near retirement or due for retirement. So, you know, just planning that in place because um, there's a reason why some of the most successful family offices have retained their staff for a longer term and when the change happens they tend to even that happens to have a very smooth transition because they take care of that integration piece you know they take that thing very seriously so it's a difficult conversation to have with principals but it's an important one i think they need to plan ahead for these things and that's the key message isn't it embed your next generation and if you do need to hire your next generation it's it won't be detrimental actually it can save the fire as you've just said and i yeah. think uh, as everyone can imagine Condensed in 12 years of what you guys do at Agris yeah. is, is going to be difficult to get into a 30 minute session. So, we've had investment appetites, we've had how to retain talent, how to embed the next generation. What are the key takeaways for family offices listening? Obviously, there'll be hopefully sorry, <laughs> a few more of these along the lines in the next future, but in the near future, I should say. But what, what are the key takeaways today for family offices listening? I think professionalisation is one of them. I think make sure you have got a professional structure. Um, that works for your particular family office, um, and you know, and, and and that can be, that can vary. That might mean making sure you've got all the right structures in place for your HR, so you've got the right contracts in place, you've got the right compensation model set up for you, you've got the right people doing the right, and you know what what the family's trying to achieve. Um, you know, I think that's that's definitely one. I think another thing is um, the you know obviously investments. If you are a family office that has in-house investments. I think it's really key to make sure you've got the right people. You know, it's it's really difficult, and obviously there's a balance of using external investment managers and bringing it in house. But I think you need to really understand: do I have the right people to make in private equity investments? And we've had clients that told us they've invested in hotels uh, on a private equity, and it's taken up you know 80% of their actual time and resources as a team, um, whereas they're and it's only 20% of their actual allocation of assets. So. You know they didn't have the right people they couldn't manage it so it became you know a problem for the family so i think having the right talent inside is, is really is really key um, and then, then if you want to do that to that
Yeah, I mean, just to support what you said, um, retain, 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 because you know it's hard enough to hire people, right? So you you've gone through all this challenge, all these costs, and all this time and energy in terms of trying to zero in on the best CIO or CEO, or even an accountant or whatever. You know, it takes a lot of effort, time, money, fees, uh, and the time away from doing your regular business to interview candidates and everything like that. And the worst thing that you can do after that is not retaining them. And it's quite simple if you boil it. As long as you've got a decent culture in the organization and it's not a madhouse. And you know, they, they tend to do what they're expected to do. And there's a performance review metric in process and you know, they're paid in line with the market. Retention is not necessarily so hard, you know. But I think a lot of families have struggled with that. Uh, and I think more than ever today, retention is absolutely key because you want to not just hire, hire the right kind of people, you want to retain them for the long term because family offices, unlike the corporate world, are exposed to reputational risks, privacy risks more than anyone else, I'd say. Because you know, uh, you know, a disgruntled employee could be really bad for a family office. So I'd say retention. Um, yeah. uh, no, I agree. And that, I mean, we, you could probably talk a whole new podcast on this, but retention could also mean, I mean, we, we do compensation reviews and we and often when we talk and interview all the, the key employees, one of the biggest things is maybe they're not providing any professional development. So that, you know, it's not just about, you know, the money's key, but it's not always money that why people leave. So yeah. think about your staff, you know, am I providing them with, it could just be, getting more responsibility in the business, or yeah. it could be going on courses, attending events, uh, you know, building their knowledge base, that, that makes a lot of people happy. So I, I, think, I think that's key. And, and the final thing I'll just say to add to what, you know, the future for family office, I think you need to be realistic and you need to think, you know, at the moment there are more, uh, there's more jobs around, aren't there, at the moment. Yeah. So people, it's quite, if you are a strong candidate, then you probably have lots of opportunities for you. If you're not offering the, the flexible working options that a lot of, you know, the, the big, you know, your competitors in the professional services world offer, you may, you know, you may struggle to compete, and also be realistic in what you need in house, because it's not surprising we're looking for, you know, an investment analyst who's got to come from Cambridge or Oxford, five years experience in a fund, but we want to pay them, you know, fifty thousand pounds. It's like, hang on, that's what that, that that won't get what you want. So I think you need to be realistic about what what you you're trying to achieve, um, and I think yeah, the future is really positive for family offices. It's, it's a great place to be. With that wealth transfer, there's going to be lots of action happening, I think, at the moment. As long as regulations don't impede too much on their operations, I think you know, they'll thrive, they'll continue to thrive. And they, uh, they, they are an investor class that's really making change in society today. They're investing in the forefront of things like big technology, pharmaceuticals, you know, uh, healthcare, whatever it may be, uh, making real change and impact, you know, even not just in the, in the philanthropic sense, but uh, on our day, in our day-to-day -day lives via technology and everything else that they invest in. So I think uh, it's, it's in everyone's best interest if this investor class generally thrives, you know? So yeah, the future's bright, definitely. Absolutely, and I think as you've said before, Tyre, that family offices can be described as the backbone of the global economy. And so I think in summary, as you say, hire right, first time, <laughs> retain them, yeah, <laughs> and continue to, to upskill and compensate correctly, which is obviously two things that your careers can have been. Um, so that's all from us at Agris on this podcast. Uh, there's going to be lots more coming up on everything from multi-family offices starting out with single-family offices, leadership. Um, but please do like, share, comment, and let us know what you'd like to hear about next.
Thank you.